soldiers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I'm curious, music team, what, what were the languages that were in that song? What a beautiful song. Swahili, heard that. Spanish, I heard a little Korean in there. Yeah, squeeze that in. Arabic. A little English in there. You got that in there. Beautiful song. And so we're going to be singing that congregationally soon. All right. We'll be looking forward to that. We'll do that together. Um, exciting stuff coming up. Um, next week, uh, we will be kicking off a brand new three-week sermon series, which will also be the kickoff of a new vision season, and it's going to be called One Body, One Body, Many Parts, and a chance for us to think and talk about the life of the church that God has designed for us. And so looking forward to presenting that to you starting next week. Today we have another exciting occasion, and that is our brother, uh, Pastor Ramargo Yancey. Pastor Yancey will be preaching here. And of course, uh, Yancey and Crystal and their family joined us this past summer. And I tell you, I love this man, and I love this woman, and their whole family. And I love Mama, too, right here. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, visiting and just a joy to be growing in relationship and partnership and ministry. I know some of you have also been getting to know the Yanceys and have already been blessed by them. And so, uh, Yancey, come on up and bless us one more time um, as you bring God's word to us. Let me pray for you and pray for us. Let me pray. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for this time that we can receive from your word. Uh, just this thought that we, in this time, can hear through your word the very voice of God. So please speak to us by your spirit. P please be present. Please open our hearts and please uh, anoint this brother as he brings your word to us. Uh, we look forward to what you're going to do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, definitely it's a privilege to open God's word um, this morning before you. You know, it, when you move to new places, you begin to think, uh, ask this question, who's going to be my new family? Um, it comes to mind whenever you move to different places, whether you're looking to uh, friendships in your neighborhoods or you're at your workplace considering this question or you are, are just sort of in your church even considering who will be my new family? Where will I have uh, this belonging or de devotion uh, to someone? Where will people be devoted to me? You want a home away from home as some endearingly have put it. There was the same sentiment here in this text in Jesus' day. Matthew brings us into focus with what Jesus meant by family and his creation of family. He helps us understand what he intends for our devotion to family. And so, as Duke said, we've had a privilege to belong here and be invited here, and it definitely has felt like, like family to us, and uh, not just that we have family in town, but the church has been 
uh, our family as well. With that, let me pray again for God just to illumine our hearts and for, for my sake uh, to ask for his help. Heavenly Father, come, speak to us, speak through me to us. God, we have so much to gain from you, so much that we need to know in terms of how to have a loving disposition towards one another and towards you. Give light, O Lord, give light. In Jesus' name we ask and pray, amen. So a few days ago, I was perusing uh, the news online, and I came across this USA Today um, article by a guy named Lamont Levels. And one thing you need to know about Lamont Levels is that he was a devoted Bloods member. That's the gang, Bloods. Uh, he was one of the eight original founders of this gang in Dallas, Texas, about three decades ago. But 15 years ago, when he was uh, doing a drug deal somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, he got shot, and that left him blind. And so just a couple of weeks ago, here he is walking down the street after uh, going by the convenience store, just going about his day, and some guys come out of the blue to, to rob him and to steal his money. It was two teenagers. Um, they had a gun, they hit him upside the head, and he thought, I'm shot. And uh, they began to wrestle him down to the ground, and they began to say, give me your money. And he recognized the voice of these guys, and he thought, they're robbing me. And uh, as he was going through this, and he, he realized that, wait a minute, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to stand by idly and, and let them rob me. I'm going to fight back. And that's what he began to do. Realizing that the guy holding him had the gun, he grabbed the gun, and as he reached for the gun, uh, he, he got it from the guy, he, and the guys ran off, and he turned and he sh shot after the guy, grazing one guy, but they got away. And they ran away through a trail by his house, only someone who's part of the neighborhood would know of. And so... To make matters worse, the teenage robbers were members of the gang he helped to establish decades ago. They were once the same gang family and loving family of camaraderie, but now Lamont is no longer part of this gang. He gave his life to being part of a gang intervention, a nonprofit called Now I See. You know, our devotion to family can change based on the type of intervention that we have uh, in our lives. We begin to have new allegiances after a while. We all experience some family divisions, right, that leave us shocked or hurts or, or downright angry. We all have to make decisions, hard decisions, to give our devotion to a greater cause over and against sometimes our family values, and that can cause discord. Jesus shows us a way through self-emptying and God-filling power. He left his home, came to earth, took on flesh, became a servant, humbled himself under his father's will. Though he was born of a Jewish family during a day where they underwent oppression, he became obedient, not using his power 
for his selfish gain, but became obedient to his father, to his father's will to death and death on a cross. In his sacrifice on this cross, this is what Jesus did. He created a new family. Through the rebellion of one man, Adam, who disobeyed the father's command, back there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see Jesus' devotion to create a new family, not a family centered around traditional values or common piety or social norms, but one that is a power that will, that will be one that obeys the Father. It was God's idea to bring about family, and Jesus creates a new family. Why does he do this? Like I said, because of the fallen man. Through Adam we fell, but through Jesus all things are reconciled through him. What does this mean for us, though? Those who have been called and chosen by God in God are included in this family, this new family. There are others who he has yet to bring in, and God still has his eye towards them to bring them into his family as well. Regardless of where you are today, in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Jesus shows us that we must indeed devote ourselves to our physical family, that we should devote ourselves to our spiritual family, our church family, and even that we should devote ourselves to our heavenly family, namely our heavenly father. So we must devote ourselves to our physical family. In verse 46, it states, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. A cursory reading here in this whole context, you will have to wonder, is Jesus really devoted to his family? Other times his family wanted him to do things and Jesus wouldn't do that, do what they asked of him. But we know that Jesus was perfect, right? So by default, we know that he was devoted to his family. When they heard about the crowd following him and all the healing that was taking place, they jumped to the rescue. They were standing outside the house while Jesus was inside being pressed on all sides. When, Jesus, when people showed up to, to visit Jesus or to see him, they packed the house out. People came from different places in the region to see him. And it would have been difficult for Jesus' mother and brothers to just shout for him so that they, he could hear them. Jesus was teaching, and, the, and the, thing, the, the house was packed out. They would have to pass on the message one person to another. Finally, to get Jesus' attention, one man inside the house who recognized that his mother and brothers wanted him, he said, Behold, while Jesus was speaking, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. What were they doing there? What was so pressing that they wanted to speak to Jesus? Another account of the story gives us context. Mark 3, 20 through 21 states, Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Jesus, come to your senses here. You've gone cuckoo in what you're doing, stirring up things in this reason. They knew Jesus, and they knew his love for them. 
that he wouldn't do anything selfish to bring attention to himself, nor disgrace the family name, which is very important in these days. Because Jesus knew the command that stated, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. However, Jesus didn't know his brother's hearts. Uh, on one occasion when they were going to a feast, Jesus' brother encouraged him to leave there from the house to, to go down to the feast and to show yourself to the people. They wanted Jesus to expose his powers in a way that wasn't honoring to his heavenly father. For not even, the scripture says, for not even his brothers believed him. And Jesus simply told them, my time has not come. Jesus was on another mission, was on another agenda that was not theirs and was not his. So they desired Jesus to show himself to the world, meaning to put his power on display for their public gain. Even though he was devoted to his family, his work was not about their selfish gain, but for their ultimate benefit. After work one day, Julian went with his friend Mike for dinner. He was impressed by the way Mike entered his house with such devotion to his wife. Mike asked Ann, his wife, how her day went, and he told her she looked pretty. Then after they embraced, she served dinner. After they ate, Mike even complimented her on the meal and thanked her for it. When Mike and Julian were alone, Julian asked, why do you treat your wife so well? Mike said, because she deserved it and it makes our marriage happier. Wise man there. Julian was so impressed, he decided to adopt the idea. So he arrived home, embraced his wife, and said, you look wonderful. For good measure, he added, sweetheart, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. His wife, Nikki, burst into tears, bewildered in a sense. She asked, what in the world's the matter with you? She cried, what a day, what a day. Tommy fought at school, the refrigerator quick and spoiled their groceries, and now you've come home drunk. <laughs> it really does remind me of when I came home for dinner. Somehow, uh, Chris and I got on the topic of uh, laying down your life for one another. And I looked into her eyes and said, as much conviction as I could muster, uh, with as much conviction as I can muster, you know, I take a bullet for you. Yeah, right, she said. <laughs> no, you won't. I became sort of like the kids. Uh-huh. Uh no, you won't. She convinced me that I needed, I really needed to reevaluate my heart's devotion to her. God is clear about his devotion to family, isn't he? He was the one that decided to give us families because God loves families. He gives the command with a promise to honor mother and father even. Hold them in the highest regard for the sake of their di dignity. For some, we know this is very difficult because there have been ensuing hurt from family members. You cannot see past the hurt that they've caused at times. You know, I look at my own life and, and think about my father who wasn't there, who uh, brought me a lot of pain when I was younger. I had to grapple with that. It set me on a path of, of thinking there's no one there for me. 
I have to be my own man. And some of you may feel like that today. You have to be your own person. Hard to trust in someone because of the hurt that have that has taken place in your family. So one thing, you know, we have to recognize is that even though we come from some very difficult and broken homes and hard situations, that there are times where we definitely have to confess that pain that our family has caused us and begin to name the hurt. Some think this is dishonoring when it's actually the opposite is very honoring, because it's not reviling, it's not slandering them, it's just being honest about what happened. Others of us may have to, God may be leading us to sit down with a family member. I remember sitting down with my mom after I just began to grow in my faith, realizing that I'm a sinner. I have said things and done things that were so disrespectful and dishonoring. Even when I felt like I was right in the right to do it, God brought me back to my senses to realize I wasn't devoted to her, even as a believer in the way I acted towards her. So I had to sit down with her and just confess and repent of that. So there are definitely distancing events, disturbing events that happen in our family. But God still is calling us to be devoted to our families because he's given us the the power now to move back into places with them where we can begin to name the hurt so that they can see the light that's in our lives, that there's something different about us that's bringing us back to them to want to reconcile with them. That's the power we have. Jesus is devoted to our physical families and because of his love working in us through the power of his spirit, we ought to as well. He also teaches us that we must be devoted to our spiritual family. In verse 48, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here, behold, are my mother and my brothers. So instead of turning his attention towards those that request his presence outside, Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity of a deeper lesson, the establishment of the family of God, the spiritual family of God. His attention is steadfast upon those in his immediate presence. He confronts the one who spoke to him in the room with the rhetorical question that widened their lens of their vision. Jesus stretches out his hand, and and the last time we see him doing this uh, in this same chapter, chapter 12 of Matthew, is when he healed a man on the Sabbath day. Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand so that he could heal him. Would it be that Matthew jogs our memory here and indicate that Jesus intends for care and healing to come through our spiritual family, his disciples? His disciples are those that learn from him because Jesus is the master teacher showing the way. He's encouraging us to leave all competing loves to follow him. He brings the attention of them with the same word that the man used to bring the attention to his mothers and to his mother and brothers outside. Behold, here they are. 
And this is shocking news probably in that context. You know, Jesus, what do you mean? Here are your mothers and brothers. What do you mean by this? So the 12 are definitely included in this. Even Judas is there, the one who would betray him later on. But in a sense, they all did, right? And there are others who became Jesus' disciples that were there. They were all in the room. People from all over the region came. People from the sea, around the Sea of Galilee, so Sidon to the north. People from the south in Jerusalem and, Judea and Judah. People from across the Jordan River to the east. People by the sea to the west and Tyre. They were the lame and diseased that were in the room, the destitute. They were made up of all type of classes, upper, lower, elite, business. There are also some people that we would see, we would call as lowly. Maybe some swindlers, you know, some thieves, some hustlers, some pimps, some prostitutes, you know. There, there are some recovering addicts in the room. Straight, by, gay, confused, looking, searching. There are some scribes and some Pharisees. People from all over were there to hear from Jesus. And they heard him say, those who follow me, they're my mother and brothers. Those who are my disciples. They're the ones I'm in intimate relationship with. These are the people that I have redeemed, and I'm calling you together to be a family with one another. Jesus is not afraid to associate with any of them, no matter what walk of life they're from. He's not ashamed to call them brother. He's not ashamed to, to recognize that there's nurturing that can happen from his disciples. He's not ashamed to call them sister. You know, I've worked once upon a time as a realtor uh, down in Augusta, Georgia. And I was assisting customers with purchasing new homes through uh, a builder that I worked for. And so I was a devoted realtor for this local new homes builder. And one day I was, I was out, you know, and in the office, and this guy came, Juan, he's from Puerto Rico. And he was someone that I had dealt with before. His house had been built, and he wanted to go out to see his house. And we showed up at this house, and it was beautiful. He made great selections on the flooring, great selections on the paint. You know, it, it looked like his home in Puerto Rico. And so we began to, to share about who we are and our involvement in church. Well, he actually shared that with me first. Then I shared with him, like, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. And all of a sudden, with full excitement, he burst out from his wheelchair and said, we're brothers. He celebrated that. I was still in work mode. You know, I didn't return to the excitement. <laughs> you know, and I suddenly, suddenly thought, I've never met someone with such excitement over the spiritual family of God. But he was right, wasn't he? We're brothers. We're sisters. We're thicker than blood because we are under the blood that binds us together. We are one family so we can draw from each other. We can depend upon each other. We can go across the globe and say, I name the name of Jesus. He's my Lord and he's my Savior. And we all can say, yes, we're in the same family. We're brothers, we're sisters. 
that is exciting because of what God has done in the gospel, because of what he accomplished for us in the cross. I mean, maybe some, some of us think we're more than ourselves, right? You know, maybe we depend on our accomplishments to, to define who we are. But you know what? This is what defines us. Jesus stretches out his hands and says, hey, these are my disciples. These, this is my family that I've made. We can say with excitement that we belong to each other. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, uh, maybe some of us are ashamed of our brothers in Christ because they don't share the same vernacular as we do or they don't have the type of uh, job situation as we do. They may just be a little weird in their thoughts or something like that. I don't know. Uh, we all are kind of weird, aren't we? But there are times, though, that we do believe that, man, if only this person would, would change, then I would invite them into being a part of my friendship. When that's a brother and a sister in Christ, more than a friend. And so I think it's time for us to begin to, you know, continue, I should say, continue to live like that with excitement. Everywhere we go, when we find out that we have a brother and sister in room, that should be our encouragement that, yes, we're here on mission under the will of God. Third thing we see here, so the, the, the Lord has indicated that we are his new family. And one of the distinguishing marks that sets Jesus' disciples apart, it is our abandonment to the Father in heaven. So we must not only devote ourselves to our physical family, you know, being on mission unto God to bring healing to our physical families, even when there have been some disappointing events, we also should have this excitement this devotion to our spiritual family, our church, within our neighborhoods, because we're the ones here to spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we see the day approaching. But also, even further, we see here there should be a, a devotion to our heavenly Father. Verse 50, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. How are we to be devoted to our Father? Jesus does not show a respect of persons here. As we learn from Revelation 5, 9, that he died from pe for people from everywhere, whatever tribe, language, people, or nation. It means whoever, wherever. We even see this in, in King David. You know, he was a man to, to be said after God's own heart. He had his affections towards the will of his Lord, the will of the Father. So it doesn't have to be a king, but, but the one that the Father calls into devotion to him are the ones that he has called, the ones that he has chosen to be in relationship with him. And that should be a, a, a longing, right? A longing to do the Father's will. 
You know, I think about Psalm 63 where, where David, again, he, he shares, Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I, I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon your sanctuary, beholding your power, your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you, Lord. In your name, I will lift my hands. He just goes on and on and on about his desperation for the Father. More than food, more than drink, more than popularity, more than our own intentions in life. A longing, a longing. We have a longing. And there may be some things that intercept that longing in our lives that God is calling us to root up and root out so that, that that longing can be fulfilled only in him. You know, we see Jesus, you know, with this same longing when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done after pleading that the cup of wrath be taken away, the cup that he has to drink. Because he longs for the Father's heart. He does not want to be separated from him. That longing causes drops of blood to come from his body as he prays. But he humbles himself in obedience to the Father's will. He longs for what the Father wants. And then also there ought to be a, a, a love towards doing the Father's will. You know, I heard a pastor, Vodibachum, say, you know, love is an act of the will accompanied by emotions that acts on behalf of its objects. I just love that definition of it. You know, it's, it's not led by emotion, neither is it void of emotion. It sort of scratches my counselor itch right there, you know. You do actually feel something when you're compelled by God's love. But Psalm is a, is a, a passionate plea for the, for, the, for the poor to be merciful to the fatherless. It's a compassion for those who are harassed and helpless, who need our help and going the extra mile to help them. It's a, it's a grieving for a, a loss of life within our families, within our neighborhood, within our church. It acts on behalf of its objects. And the ultimate one that it acts on behalf of is our Heavenly Father. His will be done. When we are devoted to his desires above all other loves, all else will have its proper place in him. We must set our affections on the Father, for he turns our desires into his desires. You know, Mika, she was in therapy because she was having problems with uh, the men that she was dating. So in and our relationships, she would notice the patterns. Some would just use her and leave her. Some would end up abusing her. And so she, she saw that common denominator is myself. I need to see how am I attracting these type of, of men. And once she began counseling, she, she recognized that she had a longing for her father that was never filled. When she was younger, she told the story of how he began to abuse her. And this didn't stop until she left the house. At times in her teenage years, when she would stay with her grandmother, she would go back home 
to visit her family because she longed to be with her family. She loved them. But yet her father would there, was there, and he would loan her out to neighbor, neighbors, men in the neighborhood who would abuse her as well. A tragic story. But still, that longing didn't stop in her heart. The desire for that love towards her father didn't stop in her heart. And it was in that relationship with her therapist that she was introduced to her heavenly father, the one that she had been longing for all along, the one who would fill her heart and mend the brokenness within her heart. He doesn't treat us as the world treats us. Though some things have happened to us, and we want to blame God. We want to blame our Heavenly Father. Why weren't you there? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you step in and stop the abuse? We want to blame him. But see, that's in competition, isn't it? With his goodness towards us. He doesn't tempt us with evil. He doesn't bring forth trials in our lives to crush us in the sense that he is not near us. So he's present with us to protect us, to provide for us in a broken world. He sees what's going on, and yet he's the one that provides the comfort for us when there is brokenness so that we can give testimony to him. That is him who is bringing the healing in our lives. You know, we see this, how the Father, his devotion is towards us. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see it in, in, in throughout Matthew where he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then this, this sort of idea in Matthew 7 of how good could the Father be? If your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly Father? And then finally here in John 1, 18 through 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That's why we love. That's why we have a longing for his will. That's why we, he beckons us to let go of the things that entangle us in this world. That's why he is close and near to us, knowing the very hairs on our head. That's why we feel his affection in the still of the night. We know that he's there. That's why when we pray at times, we wrestle with whether or not to, to give up something to him. Instead, we pray about other things. God is saying, no, I want that over there that you didn't bring to me because I'm a father that can be trusted. I'm a father that you can lay down your life before. I will carry you. I will take care of you. I sing over you. I want your heart. This is our heavenly father. He has given us the perfect gift, hasn't he? He has with, not withheld anything from us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us to give us all things, to make us more like him, a family of love. And he wants that love to be extended one to another and to another. 
And he wants that love to overflow into the streets of Columbia Heights, into the streets of Adams Morgans, into the streets of Petworth, and throughout the region, into the world. So that the watching world can say, yes, there's a, there's a father in heaven. Yes, there's one that take, takes care of his people. This is our heavenly father. He does it and accomplishes this through Jesus. They have been, we have been adopted by our heavenly father. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. By the blood of the cross, Jesus accomplishes our family that he's created. You know, like Lamont, for any game member, you, you have to know the rules of the street in order to be a part of the family. Over time, this becomes second nature to you because, you know, you're utterly devoted to the cause, whatever the cause may be. Lamont knew what it meant that his robbers did not speak when they were apprehending him. He was able to gain insight to who had the gun even and who the gun belonged to. Some would say this is just common sense. It may be, it may have been for him, but I would have been like, please take the money, go away from me. But instead he managed to take the gun from him. Was this pure luck that a blind man managed to take a gun from his assailants and then fire a shot to graze him? Even in his blindness, because he was devoted to the cause at one time, he was able to bring up all that training and apply it in, in that time of need. Mothers, sisters, and brothers. See, Jesus doesn't leave out the women, does he? He brings them in. He said, no, you're missing uh, important people here. Sisters are included in the family. You have been learning the family rules. All of us have been learning the family rules of God. Over time, as we grow together, you will know more about him and his will because he chooses to, to work through us, to reveal himself to us. It will become second nature to us because we're devoted to the cause of our Father in heaven. More than that, you're devoted to your Father and his desires for your life. When it comes time for battle, to do work, you will know that he is good and he's there for you. Or no matter where you are, maybe your mom, you know, who's, who's tired of changing diapers. God, you can call on him, and he will help you in your time of need. When the news comes that there's another family tragedy, you will know how to lean upon him to find comfort in your time of need. God is there for us. He's there for us individually and collectively. God is making all things new. You know, Adam fell. He fell in his devotion to the Heavenly Father. But the Father has not not failed in his devotion to Adam. Instead, the father provides his own son, the cornerstone of our family, to bring about a new family that can never lose their devotion to him. He has given us his spirit and moves us to have a heart before him. Jesus died a physical death that we may have a spiritual life. Jesus has chosen us to be his family, to have relationship with God. Jesus was forsaken so that we will not be forsaken by the Father. It is through him 
that our spiritual family grows and is nurtured by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that gives us the enablement to devote ourselves to one another. Through the Spirit, the members of the spiritual family, we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It is through the same Spirit that we are able to cry, Abba, Father, devote your will to the Father, for he first devoted himself to you. Jesus, what we have before us is love, pure love, that you would include us into your heavenly family. Lord, we do not deserve your kindness. We do not deserve the unity that you bring among us. But you have done it, and we are glad, and we are thankful to be a part of your family, to be a part of your healing, to be a part of you bringing justice in our own souls and throughout our world. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together. Let's sing.